So hi everyone, good afternoon. This is the LGBT meeting from 3.45 to 4.45. Um, my name is Liz and I'm one of the leaders for this meeting. My name is Liz. Hi. <laughs> my name is Laura, I'm the other leader. Um, so we'll open with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So this session is being taped and will not be edited. Please note that this session might be available online or on a podcast feed. Anyone wishing to remain anonymous should use a fictitious name. Will someone please volunteer to be the timer? <coughs> Thanks. Thank you. Uh, ask your timer to give you a signal. Five minutes are remaining. Okay, so do you have a preference? Uh -uh. Oh my gosh. Well, do you want to go first? Sure, I'll go. Um, so it's 20 minutes, and can you tell me when I have five minutes? Okay, great. reading the directions here okay so um, my name's Liz I'm from New York and I've been in OA I think about eight years I'm going to say I don't totally keep track maybe longer hi um, and so I'm going to tell you a little bit about what it was like and my story and then you know what it's like now so I've definitely been an overeater since childhood. I can remember clearly um, going back for more food, having some kind of pull on me in terms of knowing that was something that made me feel okay or something that I can remember getting more of. Um, and sort of in tandem with that, that weight was uh, a problem. It was, uh, I grew up near the beach and maybe this would happen anywhere, but just feeling like I had to avoid certain activities. And when I, I think about, I mean, being larger is part of my story, but there's definitely times where I'm like, I don't even know if I was overweight necessarily all the time as a child, but mostly I was. Um, and I just think of that as it was like a way I was trying to protect myself from feelings as a child, absolutely. So it was just a barrier, an excuse to not do things, an excuse why I wasn't succeeding, a way to not feel things. Um, and just feeling really different and not good enough all the time. And there was a lot of bad stuff going on in my home. And I feel like it was also, part of me was definitely like crying out for help, but also trying to stay as invisible as possible, which is interesting because I feel like being overweight kind of shows those two things. I was like putting a barrier around my real self so I didn't have to be 
out in the world is the real me, but also it's like kind of a visible way of saying I need help taking care of myself or dealing with the world. Um, and that certainly got bigger and louder as adolescence began, and I found other ways to uh, numb myself and just sort of get by in the world. Certainly going into adolescence, it was a way to be like, well, no one could ever like me, so I don't, I can't date, I'm overweight, so I'll just be over here being however I'm being. Um, and I really feel like even in the midst of this disease and all sort of addictive behaviors, um, I really felt a higher power. I can think of specific times that higher power kept me safe and kept things okay for me because sort of a theme in some of the things I was going to say was just trying to survive and be normal, whatever that means. But um, I knew that like the fact, I did very, very poorly in school. And, but I got into college, uh, which is really something I've just always attributed to my higher power. And I also sort of knew in college as out of control as I was, was I was like, I just have to graduate. I just have to like have some kind of normal, like I went to high school and then I went to college and just also get that over with because if this like facade cracks, I won't be able to hold it together. Um, and so the fact that those two things happen is in no way an exaggeration, just higher power working for me um, amidst all this chaos. Um, and I remember I also knew that I needed to live in the dorm, like people who already knew how to like manage money or feed themselves or take care of themselves in any way. I was like, I know enough to know that if someone's offering me like this room in a building where other people are gonna make me, unfortunately, so much food, but like take care of things and make life easier, I need to do that. Um, and so I always knew about recovery because people in my family were in 12-step programs and I knew about higher power and just somehow that was carrying me in those times. And my 20s happened. I think I also, um, you know, so I didn't take a lot of risks or tune into myself or do things, but I did find a way to have to survive and have a job and have an apartment. Um, and I'm really like, I just did the best I could. And there were some good parts, but, but all of this I'd say was while living in a fantasy world, not thinking I could want things, or even I just remember being like, but I don't know what I would want. I, I don't know what I want in any way. I'm just tuned out to that. And it was crippling. Um, and a few times I sort of learned some skills through other things about how to live and how to take care of myself and uh, tried some different ways to learn about cooking or self-care or things like that. Um, 
and that was those were all helpful things to learn but the underlying theme besides this food and like kind of being numbed out was just such loneliness I just was so lonely internally like I could be with people but there was just this internal like unaware of what is wrong and what is causing this problem and also uh, like general loneliness just like not having people to hang out with um, and so to get get to the good part so at some point when my mom was dying I'd been taking care of her and there, so there's just so much food delivered to the house and I'm just eating all of it because I'm back in like my sort of unhappy or unhealthy childhood home and that dynamic I think she said to me like you could try going to OA and I knew I was like I just can't be numb during all this because I know I'm gonna eventually have to feel it and I'd rather be present now and so I called and asked if like called the number and the woman picked up and I was like is that meeting happening tomorrow and I started going um, and it took a long time then I found another meeting I went to closer to home and I just went to it all the time and I didn't talk to anyone I don't think but I just started slowly listening and having that hour of peace in my week and then I would stay for the business meeting just to have something to do something to fill my time um, and started going to that more and so service was right away kind of something I did that connected me before I even I to be honest didn't do the steps or get a sponsor for like a really really long time but I had a nutritionist and I took the beginners packet and she we just I was she was like well that food plan it was like the first one in dignity of choice and she was like you could do that and I also needed to know like what did that I don't know how to do that I don't know what it is you know but so she f helped me find some ways to make those meals or have them out um, and just slowly got <coughs> abstinent and got clarity around that and so that's just been the most miraculous gift and one thing I know is said well if I like have a clean house and go to work and do a good job and buy food and go home and make it and pray and do this stuff I'm less lonely because it's just less hours in the day so that is a miracle um, and my life has just grown exponentially unbelievably and it's such a miracle um, and when I thought about speaking at this meeting I had many feelings but uh, one thing I really thought about is that I'd never had any um, relationship at all I'd never dated anyone and after I'd been abstinent for a while I met someone and I didn't get that they I mean it didn't occur to me that anyone could ever like me or anything like that and I was so confused and they were finally like very straightforward about that um, and it was a queer person and I was like okay and you know I didn't know what that meant too much and I didn't know what it meant about me and the fact that they were like that's okay and I was like oh alright and so basically just having the space because of OA to be open to the idea of love to be open to the idea of love that maybe wasn't what I thought it would look like to be learning so much about myself 
um, and to have acceptance enough of myself and sort of the ability to be quiet enough to tune in and go, oh, I don't know, like, when I look back at my life and think about who maybe I was interested in and didn't even know how to identify that, I'm like, oh, I wonder if I hadn't had all this noise and chaos, would I at a younger age or at any age had been like, oh, I think I'm a lesbian or, oh, I think this and that. Um, I don't know, and I have sadness about that or anger. And then sometimes I'm like, no, I don't feel that way at all. I think I just met this person and that's who I'm in love with and that's that's how it is. But just having um, the idea that I could be okay with uncertainty like that, that I could think that other people can know I'm in love with someone, that I deserve a relationship, um, all those things for me are really huge. And to have someone I feel safe enough having a romantic relationship with is like a really big thing. And all of this has opened up so many feelings. And so to have a way to deal with those feelings and to experience them and sort of be okay with those unknowns. I'm looking at my notes here. Um, and to learn about myself and to, um, I didn't really think too much about what my friends would think or something like that. But, but I've realized, oh, I, I do have friends who are totally supportive of me being happy, basically. And that's a huge thing. And people in my family who I talk to who are happy for me and like okay with this idea of not having labels or not having things be a certain way um, is a really big deal. And I guess I was thinking um, part of this, I always felt so different. Something I get, uh, I'm working on this, but a resentment I have or like something I feel is towards people who I think are pretty um, mainstream in some way and sort of enjoy m making themselves different. And I feel like I have had so much chaos in my life that I just want um, some more mainstream things and like some things I've been like now just having, being okay, I guess, with having some things that aren't easily explained or aren't um, something I'm totally comfortable with is like a new, a new thing for me that I could never have without this program. Um, and the idea of acceptance and being okay with where I am and uncertainty is just sort of those themes for me. Um, just looking here to see. <coughs> yeah. Um, the, the thing that I think about a lot is most mornings I make a gratitude list. And so often 
Um, well, one of the things I'm grateful for is my partner and just how open they are to hearing about this part of my life and just how I have a few people on there every day who are people who love me and that I have a bigger life with and I just see all the things on that list and how I just wouldn't have them if I didn't have the space to like uncover these things about myself which this program has given me the gift to do um, so just that practice of gratitude and another thing it does for me is just help me uncover more every day by being sort of aware of the new things I have or the new lens I have um, and new things I'm comfortable with or uncomfortable with thank you and um, learn how to how to have that as well the things I'm uncomfortable with and how to sort of do the footwork around that whatever it means so thanks Excuse me. Could you do a 10 and a 5 for me? Hey, everyone. Hey, my name is Laura. Um, I'm a food addict and bulimic. Hi, everybody. And um, I identify as a lesbian, proud lesbian, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And, okay, so what I'm going to do is tell my story with sort of a lesbian lens. If that's cool with everybody. Um, so I was born to two alcoholics. Um, and my mom was extremely narcissistic. And uh, she put me, um, she was very into appearances. And she put me on a diet when I was an infant. I went on skim milk because I was a really fat baby. So anyway, that's, that was how things started. Um, she was extremely critical of my weight when I was growing up. And um, I was never heavy as an adolescent, maybe 20 pounds over the normal weight, but um, when I was a teenager, she would put a picture of me when I was eight on the refrigerator to remind me what I looked like when I was littler. So um, anyway, I've been in program. I'm just going to sort of jump all around. I hope that's okay. I'm a little frazzled up here. Um, I've been in program since 2001. Um, I've been abstinent back to back imperfectly. If, if that's an oxymoron, I'm sorry, um, since 2006. And um, my abstinence is 301, three meals a day, nothing in between, one day at a time. Um, I measure, I don't weigh. Um, I've given up 50, about 60 pounds. Um, and yeah, so it's a little bit of that history. Um, so what it was like, what it's like now, um, as I said, I grew up, there was a lot of abuse. There was psychological, emotional, physical, some sexual, it's just across the board. So um, trauma and everything. And then um, um, when I got, I started my first diet when I was 11. Um, and I had to go to my mother. My parents sent me to Weight Watchers. They sent me to doctor's offices to get weighed. 
I mean, I was on a doctor's food plan, and, um, and you know, I had to get weighed once a week at a doctor's office. All of this was humiliating. All of this was awful. Um, I could probably cry right now just thinking about it, but I'm not going to. So it was just, it was awful. Um, all I wanted to be when I was young was older, so I can get rid of this young stuff and just get into the good stuff, because I figured I'd be happier and thinner and prettier when I was older. That's all I wanted to do was be thin. My mother, that's all she wanted me to do is be thin. And she also always wanted me to get married to somebody rich, somebody male. Um, <laughs> And that didn't happen. Anyway, um, so growing up, I liked boys. I had crushes, and I, but I grew up in the early 70s. So for those of you of a certain age, things were really pretty awful back then for queer people, really awful. So, um, so I might have had feelings, but they were suppressed, I'm sure. I went to an all-girls camp. I liked my counselors, so, you know, whatever. But I didn't think of it like that then because you don't think like that then. People just didn't think like that. All we thought about of um, quote-unquote homosexuals was that they were evil, bad, terrible. And I probably was homophobic because everybody around me was. I had progressive parents, but there was, but my friends, not so much. When you're little, that happens. Okay, so anyway, moving fast forward. Um, in college, I, um, well, in high school, I, um, I was drinking a lot and um, eating a lot. So um, this was all to escape feelings and to have some fun and everything else and to fit in. I really, really wanted to fit in. I felt different. Um, from everybody, not just um, basically because I was just, um, I felt there was something very wrong with me from the way I was treated by my parents. Um, and I just felt extremely different. Anyway, so um, I, was, I was quiet, um, I was a loner, and I just, I kept to myself. and. That wasn't liked in my family, so it was it was a difficult um, person to be. I was very depressed. I was angry, but I didn't know why. I thought there was something really wrong with me. When I got to college, I fell in love with my um, best friend, and was immediately told by somebody who lived in my dorm that I was sick if I did that. I didn't. I sort of told her I might be, and she says, "Well, if you are, you're really a sick person." So I mean, that was just the the way it was back then, not with everybody, but um, I had a very closeted, very, very closeted relationship with her for like three years, um, and we dated guys in the summer, so it was a cover. Um, anyway, I, um, I was drinking very heavily and getting high um, in college, and my parents divorced when I was in college, um, and uh, there was a lot of lies around why. Um, I didn't realize my father was an alcoholic, and that was one of the reasons. I um, didn't know my mother was having an affair with a neighbor, but that was one of the reasons. So just all this stuff. Um, anyway, after college, I, um, the drinking and the eating and the um, getting high continued. My weight went up and down like 25 pounds here, 25 pounds there. I was doing horrible diets like the coffee diet, like two cups of coffee for breakfast, two cups of coffee for lunch, and then a salad for dinner. Like, how did I even live? I don't know. Um, 
So moving fast forward, I, um, I dated guys um, after college for a few years, and then um, I saved money and I left the country and I went to live in Mexico for a year because it's something I had really wanted to do. Um, I wanted to learn Spanish, I wanted to experience life in another culture, and I was there a year and I dropped a lot of weight. Um, my mother came down to visit me and she was so thrilled that I was thin. Um, and then I went back and because I didn't have a job and I didn't have a place to live, I stayed with my mother um, for a few months until I found work and I put, had put all the weight back on in anticipation of having to live with her. And so this is when I was like 28, I'm 58 now, um, 29. And she said, no one's gonna hire you, you're too fat. I was probably about 40 pounds more than I am now. Um, so I had to, un I was undergoing more of that emotional crap that I had to deal with growing up and it, I was a mess. Anyway, got out of that town real quick as soon as I found a job in another town I took it, didn't matter what job it was. Um, I did go to my first OA meeting in 1983 when I was 23 and I didn't go back until 2001. It was because I knew somebody at the meeting who I would run into work-wise and I thought, I, I can't stay, I can't talk in this meeting, I know this person. Um, and nobody came up to me and said, oh, here's a list of other meetings that you could go to. I just didn't know, I, never, I didn't go back for another 20 years or so. Um, okay, so um, after Mexico, I started in a relationship with a woman, it was based on alcohol. <laughs> Um, I stayed with her for five years. Um, it was not a very healthy um, relationship because it was a lot of drinking. I ended up quitting drinking because of how things went. I left her. Um, then my dad died. I went into a real big, um, more depression. Um, started seeing somebody else. Everybody I've dated, everybody, almost everybody is either alcoholic, is, is an addict, um, or, um, or from addicts, from a family of addicts. Um, all fantastic, wonderful people, but all wounded or, um, or in some form of addiction or recovery or whatever, but just all, yeah. Nobody I've stayed with for more than, you know, I've not had a, like a long, long-term relationship and I think I'm growing in this program and I'm really um, getting there, but I have further to go. Anyway, when I entered program in 2001, I was, um, I had reached bulimia at that point. So I was a grazer all my life. Um, I just always ate, I just ate and ate and ate. Um, it wasn't, you know, this is a progressive disease, so it wasn't until really, you know, I was in my late 30s um, that I started binging, um, and then I would do bulimic exercise. I would run five miles a day, no matter what, um, and so I could binge at night, and then that got really boring. Thank you. And that got really boring, the, run, the running part, uh, not the binging part, and um, so I started throwing up. I thought I was so smart. And ironically, at that time, I got the job that I have now. I, I work in a women's center. I run a women's center at a college. And um, 
some of the students I was seeing had were bulimic, had eating disorders, and I started throwing up. I thought, oh, this is a good idea. It, you know, it's terrible. Um, I hope nobody in here is, no, don't tell anybody at my college, please. Anyway, um, I don't do that anymore, obviously. Throwing up worked for a while, and then when it didn't work as well, what I started doing was um, was spitting out. I would buy tons and tons of cookies, and I'm sorry if I'm not supposed to mention food, but just a lot of junk food. I would eat it. I would spit it out before I swallowed it. I've heard a few other people have done this. Um, it doesn't work 100% because of the gag reflex. You still swallow some. And then I would throw up whatever I swallowed. So I know this sounds, it's disgusting, and I think it, I had so much shame around this, but this is what my story is. Um, after doing that for a couple of years, I, I went to OA just out of pure fear, desperation. I mean, I hated myself more than anything. I had hated myself my whole life. I felt like I had no sense of self. I um, Everything I did was based on fear. Um, I managed to work, and to I, I'm in, always been in social justice work, and I managed to do that fairly successfully. But I, um, I was, uh, I was internally ruined, and I was killing myself with my behaviors. Um, in program, um, both of my parents. One was Jewish. My mom's Jewish. My father's Episcopalian was. He's dead now. Um, were atheists. They did not believe in, they did not have faith. And so I unfortunately did not grow up in either of those traditions or with faith. Although I've, I, I um, celebrate both Christian and, and uh, Jewish holidays now. But um, getting the faith was the hardest part of this program for me. For some people it's easier, but I had a hard time and I had very patient sponsors the first four or five years, one of them who's here, um, not in this room, but here at the conference, and um, bless them because I just had a really tough time. And then in 2005 I relapsed and I was dating somebody um, and I, wanted, I just wanted to be normal. I've always really, really just wanted to be normal. So I ate normally. I drank like other people can drink. And um, and it scared the shit out of me. Excuse my language. And then I took a 15-week step study, and it kicked my ass. Um, I got my abstinence back, and I got it solid. And I got another sponsor and a lesbian sponsor, because um, I figured there weren't very many out lesbians in my in the rooms. Um, I wanted somebody who, who was. That just was important to me. And um, so OK. So I've been, um, as I said, I've been absent since then. And um, what I, I made, I never heard of the one-year rule where you're not supposed to get into a relationship the first year of your, um, of your absence, sobriety, et cetera, et cetera. I had never heard of it. I got into a relationship um, with a woman who had been in 10 years. And I had a resentment against her for a long time, saying she knew this rule. And she got into this relationship with me anyway. So my, my um, abstinence and my 
program was a little bit delayed, I think, because of that, because it was a rough year. I was, this was when I was brand new in program. So um, other people I've been with since then, just a couple, but the, um, but to be honest with you, I haven't dated in seven years. <laughs> I'm taking a break. I know it's a long break. <laughs> but um, the last relationship I got into was with an active, active alcoholic. Um, and I thought that that would never happen because I had had all these years of recovery and I was abstinent and sober and all these wonderful things. Um, and I sort of, I believed her, even though I'm an addict, I should know these things. I believed her when she said she would not drink anymore. So, silly me. Anyway, um, a lovely woman. She's in my life now as a friend. Um, but after that experience, to me, I think I needed some more emotional recovery work. And, um, you know, I have to not blame myself for being, for this, for any of this. It's just, um, I mean, I do take responsibility and accountability. And I've done four steps for a long time and um, made my amends. And I did not used to be the nicest person or the easiest person and everything. I've grown up a lot and I've learned a lot and I've made my amends. And I've, um, yeah, and I don't criticize myself or judge myself as harshly as I used to. Um, and currently I have a very loving sponsor, actually one of the sponsors who, um, who helped me through those first few years when I didn't have any faith. And, um, I feel very blessed, and I still try to escape in other ways. Um, the iPhone is an invention that was, I don't know how, how addicts do it, but I tend to get a, you know, do games and Netflix and all this stuff. Like, I'll find other ways to escape now, um, and I have to be aware of that. I have to know that that's not right. I still... Um, have a very distorted body image. I still um, uh, have, you know, I'm terrified of gaining weight, but, um, but you know what? I'm a billion times healthier um, and happier than I was before program. This program saves lives, it changes lives, and um, yeah, so I still need work, but we're all works in progress. Um, uh, someday I will let my heart open up again, um, but first it has to open up to myself and be loving um, of myself before it can be really ready to, um, to risk getting hurt again. Um, and uh, so I am so grateful. Um, I try every day to learn Goddess's will for me and um, and then ask for power from her to, to carry it out. So um, on page 85 in the big book, <clears throat> it says, every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into all of our activities. How can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. Um, so trying to stay in fit spiritual condition in order to do this is not easy. I do have faith now, but it wavers sometimes. Um, I do the best I can. Um, there's something really beautiful that I heard um, 
it's a Cherokee um, sort of version or explanation of what the higher spirit is and it goes like this it's the river of goodwill that flows between our hearts and I just thought that was really beautiful and I just wanted to end on that thank you This workshop will end at 4.45. We will now open the floor for three-minute pitches. Is that the right thing to read now? Okay. The timer will signal when you have one minute left. If you would like to share, please come to the front of the room and form a line to the right. You must sign the release form before you speak. Step up to the microphone and introduce yourself. Tell us where you're from and how long you've been in OA. We would like to remind OA members who are in other fellowships to speak only to your personal recovery in OA. Please stick to the topic of this meeting. For those who arrived late, the topic of this workshop is LGBTQ. The meeting is now open for sharing. Hi, I'm Leslie, compulsive overeater from Long Island. So thank you very much for your service. Both of your stories kind of matched a lot of mine. Um, I grew up in a house where my mom was a restrictor and tried to restrict all of us on our food. Um, I was athletic, so I ate a crap load of food but just burned everything off. So I was thin through the point that I went to college. Um, I kind of lived in that numb state of not really feeling anything um, and just started um, growing up as you were supposed to. Um, when I was in second grade, I was sexually abused by a teenage boy at a playground. And it kind of led me into the, oh, you just be with people just to, you know, guys, just because that's what you're supposed to do. And um, so I was in a lot of relationships, not really relationships. I was in a lot of sexual relationships with many people or guys through my life. Um, also still living kind of numb. I did actually numbly get married to a man and was married for 25 years. I have four amazing children, actually one is a stepchild and three amazing daughters. And this program has allowed me to, to open up and live my truth. I grew up as a very, very angry teenager, punching things, breaking things, violence, you know, getting high, drinking, doing the whole thing, and never really looking at why, because I lived in that numb state. And I came to this program and finally found out who I really was and that I am worth it and I can love myself and that I belong here. So I took the proper steps and divorced my husband 
um, my children are older and explain to them that I've been unhappy all my life and uh, I now ha am in a nine-month relationship with the right person and the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. I, I went on match and I started dating people and knew what I was looking for, knew what I wasn't looking for. I was unwilling to spend a second moment with somebody who wasn't the right person and just said, thank you very much. This was a wonderful night and never called back. And then finally uh, met a woman whose picture on, on match was her in a Tigger costume. And that is like, I mean, a match made in heaven for me. <laughs> and uh, I, I bought engagement rings and so we're getting engaged. So this program allowed me to be my true self and stand up for myself, love myself, and actually like live life and, and love who I really want to love. Thank you very much. Hi, my name is Sarah. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Sarah. I, I am from <laughs> Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and I have been abstinent for just over two years. Um, I just want to say thank you to both of the speakers for allowing this meeting to happen because I attended this meeting last year and that was kind of part of the beginning of my journey in realizing that I am a queer person and that brought on like a lot of shame for me at the beginning of that journey because my higher power was still very much the higher power of my childhood and you know somebody I had coffee with another um, gay member of OA that I know in Ottawa and he was like you can change your higher power. And I was like, holy shit. Sorry. I was like, what? And and just kind of accepting that process and acting as if my higher power still loved me really helped me accept myself and kind of begin this journey. And I really appreciate that OA has kind of helped me like unnumb myself, I guess. Other people have shared and kind of schlep away all of that bullshit that I needed to get out and kind of accept myself and move forward. So I just wanted to share that with you guys. Thanks. I'm Susan Belima, compulsive eater. It's never a hard choice what meeting I when this meeting comes up because I feel I hold the torch. I came in in 1983. I went to a convention with 2,000 overeaters, and at that time, somebody put a little note on the board: if you're LGBT meet in my room and there were like 15 of us sitting on the floor hanging out the thing and now we've arrived. Hopefully we'll get to stay in this status. Uh, the other thing, people talked about honesty and acceptance. Um, for almost 30 years I'm with my soulmate and we got married three years ago. Uh, and I didn't even know what my sexuality was when I came into program. I had to ask a friend, how do you know if you're a lesbian? You know, how do you know? That's, and I lived in a sorority house. So when I found this perfect person, after I realized, I asked myself, when I went to that convention, how did I feel if I slept with a man? Oh, uncomfortable. Then I asked myself, how did I feel if I slept with a woman? Oh, uncomfortable. So I knew, program taught me, I was not ready for any relationship. But you fast forward 34 years, or no, less than that, and I meet the soulmate wasn't, and asked me, will you love me forever? I'm a person who has no feelings. I'm trying to practice live in the moment. Here is this amazing person. You talk about the insecurities. 
but I learned to be honest. I said, all I can do is give you 200% in the moment, and let's hope what works out. And then uh, 15 years later, we decided to get married, and now I, it only took, I don't know where the transition and going to meetings, but I can now say, I will love you forever. And I never thought that would come, but that came from going to meetings, accepting who I was, and trusting that if you're with the right person, the right things happen. Thank you. Hi, my name's John Compulsive Overeater. Um, yeah, so my story really is a parallel to my story in OA too, coming out story in OA story. Um, I grew up in a homophobic household um, and community. And, you know, I remember not understanding what gay was, but knowing it was bad, whatever it was. Um, and, you know, with that, I, I think deep down I still knew because I ate and, you know, tried and tried and tried to convince myself that, you know, I was straight and, you know, I, I actually believed it for a while. And it wasn't until college, um, putting down sugar and flour, not in OA yet, but putting it down, I, for the first time, you know, came out to a bunch of college friends and, you know, it was the Bible Belt, but it was still secret and okay between the group of friends. And um, the extreme dieting didn't work, picked up sugar and flour and went back in the closet for another 10 years. And you know, yo-yoed up and down, up and down, up and down. And at one point, um, actually kind of a neat way of finding out in OA, I was at like a weight loss retreat and a woman next to me is, you look familiar. Do you go to OA? <laughs> I'm like, what's OA? So that was a pretty cool, you know, way to find out. But I ended up going to my first meeting and you know, felt such love and openness and sharing like I've never heard before. And in the parking lot after the meeting, um, for the first time in 10 years, I said to another human being, I'm gay. <laughs> and, you know, that really just, it coincides, you know, six months <laughs> later, thank you, six months later, I'm, you know, I met my wife. Um, able to understand, you know, who I am. Um, there was still a lot of craziness around the food at that time, but, you know, I'm also grateful that she understands the crazy food me. And she's also seen the, you know, natural, you know, calm OA me. And, you know, I haven't, even though I've been, you know, in OA for that long, um, I have come and gone and come and gone, but, you know, I'm also grateful that my wife, you know, has always supported me and always encouraged me to keep coming back. And I think for the moment that really clicked for me is, you know, I went to move in with her and we, I was at that point, I was like 
resentful for OA. And, you know, I just went to the bookcase clearing out stuff and I couldn't give up those OA books. So I knew it was time to go back. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lisa D. of Food Act in Recovery. Hi, and my pronouns are she and her, and my favorite adjective is mine. Um, I have always identified as um, uh, like kind of straight queer, and um, the, I've learned I've learned the phrase heteroflexible. Um, I'm in a monogamous relationship with a man, so it doesn't really matter right this minute. But um, if he gets hit by a bus, I am open for business. Um, but I don't want him to get hit by a bus. I mean, I love him. Um, anyhow, I am um, a mother of two queer children. And, um, um, and one of them is like us and uh, in that in the food area and um, the only reason I am a decent parent to my children is because of this program because I put down the food I stopped I blamed one of my kids for a lot of my eating um, I wanted her to um, be different than she was I wanted her to be happy I didn't realize that was not not okay you know you just she wanted to be who she was and I wanted her to be different anyhow um, I'm going to be the mother-in-law of um, a, a trans daughter-in-law um, who is in a relationship with my other daughter who um, and they are non-monogamous and I'm working this program around some of my feelings around some of the issues I'm having around their relationship. But um, so I don't know if this was an appropriate share for this group, but that's where I am today. And um, yes, and I think I'll just say thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, my name is Celine. I'm a compulsive reader and bulimic. Um, I thought that once I came out that that was it, it was done, I was a lesbian, I was proud, and um, in my small community, my OA family accepted me with open arms, even though a lot of them went to church and they were older, um, and I felt so blessed. And then um, my wife at the time came out as transgender, um, and then, so we had been together for seven years. Um, married and then three years or four I forget three years later so like three weeks ago um, I told them that I can't be with a man anymore um, and so I've realized this past year that I identify as queer um, because I don't know what else to say and so that's just the umbrella that I'm using um, and through it all, I have my OA family to support me. And it blows my mind. Um, my sponsor revealed to me that when sh her kids were younger, 
she didn't allow them to watch Mr. Rogers because she thought he was gay. And she's come full circle. She has um, a queer or trans grandchild now. And um, she, she, has, she loves my um, soon-to-be ex-husband. She loves me. Um, it's just, I don't know, OA has brought unconditional love. I was fortunate with um, my biological family, but um, to have, to see religious church-going older people in my life love me unconditionally has been amazing. And um, without a way, I don't think I'd have that. So thank you. To this thing. Oh, I'll time myself. Hi, my name is uh, Jeff, and I'm from the New York uh, metro area. And I'm in um, OA for over four years, and uh, and uh, I identify as a cisgendered gay man. Uh, and I just started hearing those terms cisgendered, like within the last like four years or something like that. It's a new thing. So, or I'm bro-gendered, ha And um, I never really thought about um, this disease in terms of um, my sexuality. Uh, I mean, I did have a rough time growing up, you know, ever since I was seven years old. Other boys called me sissy, faggot, and girl. And uh, later on, uh, when I was friends with uh, one of my friends who was also gay, said, "Well, calling you a girl, like, why should that be an insult? Like, what's what's so bad about being a girl? You know, it's like that's like an insult to females." I was like, "Oh yeah." So, all I'm not dating currently. Maybe this program will open me up to love. Etc. Um, uh, and and I think a lot part of that is body dysmorphia issues because even when I was in decent shape uh, and I look at a picture of myself and I'm like, oh my god I don't recall looking like that um, when I was hot <laughs> at one time <laughs> I never really thought of myself as that because it was never uh, you know that the 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 sculpted uh, physique of the Adonis male that uh, that I aspired to have. Uh, so um, I finally went on some, uh, you know, bodybuilding diet and exercise diet at one time, and, and it was working, but every time I got close to whatever it was, like a goal weight or this or that, uh, I would be like, okay, that's good. I, I, I got here. That's fine. And I would revert to my default manner of eating, which is like a kind of like a slow drip throughout the day. Whatever's there, you know, 
taste this, taste that. If I like it, I don't like it. Into my mouth it goes. There was no such thing as um, three meals. The only thing I could think of in terms of gay uh, identity with um, food is that if I went out on a date, when I was dating, uh, that we would eat lavishly. I thought, you know, we should we should eat um, lavishly and enjoy just, you know, the, the joys of food and travel and, you know, all that, you know. So, so just eating, you know, just, you know, because that just came from my family that wanted gestufte Menschen, which means stuffed people in Yiddish. <laughs> so thanks. <laughs> Hey, I'm Quinn. I'm a compulsive eater. And um, I just wanted to get some nods because I had come in a program and didn't really... I heard my, my story just uh, just mentioned that this was a, uh, yeah, you're, you're probably weird in some way other than the way that I'm already weird. And uh, it just never really occurred to me. And I, I met my husband in college and... At that point, it was just one of those. Oh well, he is the um, the focus of my interest, and it was not terribly long ago. It was um, probably eight or nine years ago, where all of a sudden I was like, there are lots of people who are who are looking tasty, and while that wasn't really part of my oh my gosh, let me go ahead and, and grab them all. It was just a oh my gosh, this is something I really need to take a look at and really explore with my sponsor, with my step work, with trying to come to grips with being 40 years old and, and looking at this different aspect. And so I talked to my sponsor about it and she took a step back and I said, yes, I'm queer, but don't worry. I'm not interested. I mean, it was just, it was this weird thing. And I realized that that was just another rejection that I really couldn't handle, and I think it, it colored a little bit of our relationship. So I haven't I got a new sponsor, and that was really helpful. But seeing that this was a meeting that was on the menu, I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is something where I really want to have that adventure of coming up and saying, yeah, as a queer person who's happily married to a guy. There's a lot of flexibility and there's a lot of, of exploration that still is something that I'm really interested in doing. And I, I loved hearing your stories. I loved hearing all of the shares. And I just really appreciate everyone who was brave enough to step in through that door to say, hey, I want to be recognized as, as something that is normal and lovely and beautiful and all-encompassing of this amazing thing that I can call life and live it to the fullest. So thank you so much. Okay, everybody, there's one more minute. So if you want to do the serenity prayer, we can hold hands. and Maybe we should stretch. I want to thank you all for coming out. No pun intended. <laughs> God, God, grant me the serenity 
to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>